quick heads up before the episode starts. In a minute, you're going to hear me reference some audio issues. John was having a lot of trouble with his setup, and as a result, his audio has a lot of background noise. There's not a whole lot I can do about it, and rather than re-record the whole episode or cut John's part out entirely, because we love and appreciate and respect his insight, just chose to go ahead with the episode and leave this disclaimer in at the beginning. I hope you'll be patient with us and enjoy the show. We do have some good stuff coming up in it. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. but it doesn't feel right if we don't actually start (laughs) with a a clap. Every time, I don't know, every time we talk about the clap, I think of two things. One is, the clap is a (laughs) euphemism. (laughs) And two is that Sean Paul song. What Sean Paul song? We make it clap. (laughs) That one. Oh, you're speaking French to me. There's a Wiggles song. That goes like this. I've got the clap, and I'm giving it to you. I've got the clap. No. And it's like, can I have the clap? Sure, buddy. And like, oh my gosh. A friend showed it. A friend showed it to me. It's just literally clapping. But a friend showed it to me, and I was like, they they gotta know, right? Like, I think they're from Australia, but they gotta know. Oh, it was bad. Oh, and it looks like it looks like "Make It Clap" might not might not actually be Sean Paul. It looks like it's actually a Busta Rhymes. Oh, good old Busta. Busta's good. Ugh. Um, okay, we're getting kind of a late start for a lot of technical reasons, so I think we should just dive in. Welcome everyone to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. It's been a little while since we've talked to each other, and converse or as as a result, it's been a while since we've talked to all of you, and we've missed you. We hope you're doing well. John, Aldo, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I missed you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> we we missed you too, Aldo. <laughs> I don't know who why I keep talking in like first person plural, like we, us. It's like I'm the Queen of England now. I thought it was a royal yeah. we kind of thing. We are so happy that you have graced us with your presence. That that was my attempt at speaking like the Queen. This is why I don't do accents. We are we are not amused. <laughs> oh, aren't we? Uh so we're, our schedule's a little bit off. Uh, these were the, the stories that we were going to read for the very end of October. By the time this episode goes up, it's going to be November. Uh, but we'll, we'll still make a good conversation out of it. I've got thoughts on both of these stories. Okay, let's start with Incredible Hercules, Love and War. So this is from a 2008 or so series, uh, The Incredible Hulk title ended and Hercules picked up where that story left off without renumbering. So this uh, story takes place in uh, The Incredible Hercules, issues number 121 through 125. The premise of the story is the Hulk has been locked up after the events of World War Hulk. 
His former sidekick, Amadeus Cho, is now palling around with Hercules. They've just made it through the events of the Secret Invasion storyline, and now they're just trying to relax. And the way that they are relaxing is they go to this deserted island where Amadeus is just kind of left to hang out on his own because Hercules is off hanging out with his new gal pal, Namora, who is Namor's cousin slash romantic interest. It's royalty, so the incest isn't supposed to be weird, but it's still weird. Also, I'm not sure if they're actually blood cousins, but now we're getting into, like, anime territory that is not comfortable, so we'll just skip that. <laughs> you know, technically. <laughs> <laughs> so while they're on this island, they wind up getting attacked by Amazons, and these are just straight-up Greek Amazons from Greek mythology. And They're not bringing they... them packages. No. Oh my god. Oh, no. Okay, just, just to be clear. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bezos sends his regards. <laughs> oh gosh. So these Amazons are led by Artime, who appears to be something of a Wonder Woman analog. She's got a similar origin story to Wonder Woman. She's been made from clay. Uh, her sort of chief lieutenant is this Medusa-looking Amazon named Delphine Gorgon. Is it Delphine? I, I think with Greek you pronounce the the E at the end, so I think it would be Delphine. Okay, because the whole time I kept reading it as Delphine and I couldn't stop thinking about Belle Delphine. That was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it, I, I'm pretty sure it's Delphine. Okay. But I'll, I'm not positive. No, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go with that. Anyway, so they kidnap Amadeus Cho because they want to use his superpower, which is as long as he has sugar in his system, he can think really well and he is very, very smart. And so they use him to interpret this map that points them in the direction of what is uh, of the Axis Mundi, the center of the world. It's like the source of all power in the world. And long, like summing this up, more briefly, they wind up with this weird sort of like wish-granting jar that if they take it to the Axis Mundi, they will be able to reshape reality as they wish. The Amazons get it there. Hercules and Amadeus Cho and Nomura catch up with them after having to go on a rescue mission to save Poseidon. Uh, they don't stop the Amazons in time, and we get a glimpse of what the world would be like if the Amazons had taken over, and it's interesting well it's it's less of the amazons took over and more of what's her name artemis artemis had, had like yeah like her idealized earth yeah and it is basically exactly like our earth except what if women were in charge and men were the ones who had to deal with the glass ceiling and only getting paid 77 cents on the dollar and all of that other stuff and castrated oh, you know just yeah. all the fun stuff that happens yeah she cranked it up to 11 uh ooh. yeah it is a little bit more popular the first than our the first shot i was like hey that looks pretty that city looks pretty sleek you know maybe this wouldn't be so what do you mean you're gonna get rid of the x gene oh crap or not the x gene sorry the x chromosome the x gene is a yeah is a, that's an x-men problem ooh. And so, anyway, yeah, uh, in this alternate universe that has been created, uh, Amadeus Cho and Delphine Gorgon actually dated for a while. Delphine is leading, like, this revolution against Artemis, 
and they spring Hercules from man jail and team up with him and they overthrow Artime and put things back to normal and then Namora runs off and leaves Hercules sad because he doesn't have any romance anymore and he and Amadeus Cho decide to go out for burgers. Pizza. So it's some bro food. It's fine. So anyway, yeah, that's that's a summation of Hercules Love and War, written by Greg Pak and Fred Van Lenti, uh, art by Salva Espin, Clayton Henry, colors by Lee Luffridge and Raul Trevino, uh, Joe Caramena is the letterer, lot of, lot of, lot of names involved with this. Um, I just want to start things off, the only thing that I really want to say about this uh, ahead of time is, man, this book was a lot thirstier than I remembered it being. I I was a little surprised at how thirsty it was because it was a recommendation from you. More like the incredible thirst Achilles, am I right? Yeah. It, it's like love and war. Even heroes need booty. That should have been the same. I, I, but Amadeus <laughs> Cho, the seventh thirstiest person on earth. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he was like, they're going to kill me, but I'm going to get some first. Eh. He, yep. was, he was like, also, I didn't know that his super brain was powered by junk food. I mean, isn't that most teens? Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but no, but I, I agree though. I also did not know that. I thought it was. I thought he was like just smart. I thought he was just smart. Yeah. It was such. It was just such a weird thing balancing out. Like I was like, okay, I know, I know Hercules, and like, okay, Poseidon's a god of the sea, right? Right. Okay. They're they're using Plato instead of uh, Hades, but whatever. And I was like trying to balance out like you know, my nerd brain of, like, what I remember from Greek mythology from school, and then all of a sudden it was like, I use junk food to power my super brain, brain my super brain in the gray matter, I'm like, oh my, what, what? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was weird, yeah. So, so is his power, like, a mutant thing, or an inhuman? I don't think so, I think he's just, I'm gonna look it up, you guys talk amongst yourselves. Also, oh, I'm already, I'm already there. Oh, well, well. <laughs> Sorry, while you're there then, um, you know how they refer to him as uh, the Aerominus? I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had to look that up. Oh, I knew what it was from art history, but then I was like, oh, gosh, they're bringing that up? Like, that's a, <laughs> oh, no. And so he was like, no, 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 we're just, we're just buds. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that cracked me up. That actually reminded me a little bit of, uh, it's kind of one of those weird, like, uh, like, obtuse, like, history facts that, like, Marvel likes to pull out every now and then. Uh-huh. Kind of like when Tony Stark... Very offensively, so I wanted to reinstate Prima Nocta. And everybody was Gosh. like, this is funny, until they looked it up and they're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. So this whole run, I've read the whole run of Incredible Hercules. I am actually a big fan of it. And rereading this, I think this is, ugh, I don't like this one as much. But one of the things that I like <laughs> about this arc, what uh-huh. they do... In, in, in like the entire run of Incredible Hercules is that they basically revisit the stories of Hercules from Greek mythology. And again, it's kind of this weird mishmash where they're using a lot of the Greek names, but Hercules is the Roman name. So there is like this weird sort of meshings of the the myths and it doesn't really make sense. And it doesn't really make sense with Marvel's own timeline uh, but I think it makes for a really interesting narrative device for this ongoing Hercules story to kind of use it as a way to revisit key moments from his past. And we get a lot of that in this story. We get the story of Hercules agreeing to hold up the sky for Atlas because Atlas is at the Axis Mundi. Uh, we get the story of Hercules' encounter with 
Hippolyta, the queen of the Amazons, and that's important because Hippolyta gets beheaded in this story. Oh. Which is kind of horrifying. Um, and, and you get things like that throughout this whole run. And I think that's really interesting. I was a Greek mythology uh, uh, kind of fan when I was in elementary school, especially. There's a, there's a smaller word you can use. For, it's called a nerd. I was a nerd. You nerd. <laughs> when, I, when I was in elementary school, they didn't have Dogman comics. So instead, I read Greek myths. Yeah, but they still had Spider-Man. Not at the school library, they didn't. Oh. I was like, why Why would you... No, that's not fair, because, I don't know, I had, like, a quiz game or whatever where, like, there's a whole category in Greek myths, and I was like, oh, they have powers, too. <laughs> so, yeah, guilty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not just that. Like, we did an Egyptian unit, so I was like, ooh, so who's the god of the sun in Egypt? And who's the... Oh, okay, because, you know, everybody's got their thing, so... Yeah. So what did we think of this story, other than the thirst quotient? Um, I, I liked it, like, acknowledging that it's very male gazy and, and cheesecakey and everything. Um, I thought, I thought it was fun, like... You know, odd, oddly enough, I didn't really feel like it was actually all that cheesecakey as, like, you would kind of expect from it. Oh, well, you should go and see the uh, first shot again of... Well, I forget which character it is now. I don't think it... It might be Artemy or it might be... Hippolyta, now, now, see, I'm, I'm getting everybody mixed up. No, no, I mean, you're, I mean I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your word for it, because even though I said I probably should, uh, skim this comic again, I didn't. You, I mean, really, you <laughs> should just see the first shot of literally any female character in this story. Oh, except for the, the, um, the, um, Delphine, the Gorgon, like, she's, you know. Oh, you mean the Gorgon with, yeah, the fishnets and the schoolgirl skirt? Alright, 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 fair. But I, I didn't notice that until my third read-through, because Artemis is like, I am the goddess of cleavage right in front. Every single, like, Amazon, just about, is somebody's idea of a fetish. No, I was actually, the, the, the covers are all kind of just meh, except I liked the first cover... As far as like the um, oh the one that looks like a heavy metal cover uh, like the pose the poses and everything it looked kind of like like it reminded me of uh, Planet Terror the uh, posters for that yeah. you know even though it's it like looks a like different... a schlocky B movie poster yeah yeah I mean with a name like Love and War which I didn't realize like the timeline it's, it comes out between Secret Invasion and um, uh, Dark Rain which those are two those are two uh, events that I think we should check out because. The, the bit of Secret Invasion that I've read was fun, so... So, I picked this book in particular because I mentioned that I wanted to be reading more Amadeus Cho, and I liked Amadeus a lot pre his Hulkification. This story is not a very good <laughs> representation of Amadeus Cho as a character, I don't think. It, it puts, like, his worst foot forward. <laughs> He's... He's he's all he's not he's all boy no genius in this. He does like one genius thing where he knows exactly where they should shoot to you know disable the you know the MacGuffin and uh, well, also, save the day. Also, when he you know deciphers the dead language. Oh well, yeah, but he was only doing that because they <laughs> appealed to him through you know his boy. So one of the things that I like about Amadeus Cho, especially in this run on Hercules, uh, the way that they choose to actually show that he is super smart is that when he's, you know, calculating the velocity and the, the, uh, 
direction that these bullets are flying in, you get like little math symbols drawn all around them. And that's pretty consistent throughout the whole run that he, like they find ways to visually depict the calculations that he's making in his brain and the way that he is figuring out where, like where to be to avoid getting hurt or to do the most damage. And that I think is really interesting. And you couple that with this guy who like, has a chip on his shoulder, but he also cares very, very deeply about the people that he is friends with. Like, he cares a lot about Hercules, and the dynamic that the two of them have, where they're very, like, bro-y. Like, I actually really like it, because I think it's a very interesting depiction of a, a male friendship in comics. And yeah, they make these little ha-ha-hee-hee, uh, Amadeus Cho is Hercules's uh, little boy toy. That's not... That's this story makes those jokes, and it doesn't come up anywhere else. We it, Again, it's just the thirsty story. But yeah, so, I don't know, man. I really like Amadeus Cho, and I, I'm sad that I didn't remember this story very well, because I think it does make him look fairly poor compared to, like, other stories that feature him. But this is an interesting, I think, I don't know, this, this works for me because this is a dynamic that I hadn't seen before. Like, one of the biggest, toughest, you know strong dudes like you know his strength is his power and it's all about just might and he's you know paired up with Amadeus Cho who's just all brain so it's it's I think that that partnership works that's interesting for comics and so I, I would want to read more of it so you, I mean you hooked me I, I wanted to I do recommend this whole run and there's a non-zero chance we'll come back to some of these other stories later uh but yeah the the it's not really fair to say that this story depicts women in a bad light based on the <laughs> weird, realized fantasy of one obviously psychotic supervillain type woman. But I could, I, I got actually kind of embarrassed for myself reading the, the last issue where we had the the gender-flipped world. I don't know. It, it felt like weird, like it was trying to say something about the problems with our world, but then, like, but not. going too far with it or not not saying the right things about it. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that it feels like in another book it's probably more thought out, whereas here it was just a, a, a tool, like a, just a storytelling tool. Let's show how nuts she is. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was anything in particular to say, which is a little disappointing. But at the same time, if they were gonna try to say something, I would prefer it to be the focus, because that's way not like the focus of this right. book either. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I think the tone of this book is pretty evident that it's really meant to be just a dumb, fun, buddy comedy action superhero story. It's two bros sitting in a hot tub, yeah. five feet apart, because they're not gay. <laughs> uh, that said hercules is totally bisexual like canonically i don't think they they explored that really in this story wait no there is a spoiler alert later on in this run hercules actually dies and they have a funeral for him and they have all of his former lovers come in to the funeral to talk about how great he was in bed because that's, you know, priorities. And uh, I think North Star was one of them. So in uh, in the one of the X-Men books where they're jumping around from 
alternate dimensions killing rogue Charles Xavier's. Uh, they go to a world where there's a, a, a gay sheriff Wolverine and his lover is Hercules from that same world. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Um, but like going to this, this, you know, last issue again, the, the lady dominated world. I don't know if you guys ever watched this episode of Powerpuff Girls where there was like a villain who was stealing all of the Susan B. Anthony coins and she was this sort of <laughs> straw <Yes>. feminist character. <laughs> straw feminist. Okay, maybe that's closer to what, what the issue is with Yeah, this. and I think yeah. well, like that, that's what was popping into my head. Like, I remember watching that episode in college and being like, okay, fine, whatever. But then, like... The older I got and the more interested in, like, feminism I got, I, I kind of came to realize that episode doesn't really... Like, it actually is almost kind of poisonous against feminism. It's like, we don't need feminism because women are already equal. And that's kind of what this does without meaning to. Because, again, I don't think they're really trying to make any sort of message. But it is like, oh, you know, you put the women in charge and all of a sudden everything is bad. And so feminism itself is bad, which is kind of a bad message for this very bro-y comic to have. But again, I think that message is unintentional. Yeah, because I, I don't think we're necessarily... I don't think you're meant to take this world as a feminist fantasy. I think mm -hmm. you're really meant to take this world as the fantasy of somebody who is power mad and just happens to be a woman. Yeah, I think where it really like gets harder for me to, to make this just about this one character is the fact that I saw them as something of a Wonder Woman analog. And, you know, Wonder Woman is the feminist icon among superheroes. Because, again, she is an Amazon. She is the daughter of Hippolyta. She was made from clay. And they're drawing on, you know, tropes and archetypes. And I, I'm not sure if there's actually a, a single Greek myth that informs both of these stories. Like, I'm not sure if Artemis is actually a character from the myths. But regardless, once that parallel was there... I couldn't help but see this story as some sort of weird commentary on feminism, which probably isn't fair. Again, I acknowledge, but you, it still you know, made me it cringe. Might, it might also just be, I mean, now that you say that, I actually didn't make that connection. Um, be, actually, it's funny because when they first, when the Amazons first came in and they didn't look like the DC uh, Amazons, I was like, oh yeah, different, different books. So that was for me immediately like set aside, like that thought didn't linger. Yeah. But now that you've said that, it almost feels like, almost like they're just saying like, haha, Wonder Woman sucks. Um, Which is also fine. not a great message because Wonder Woman's great. Yeah, Wonder Woman rocks. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you, you mentioned the Powerpuff <laughs> Girls and my brain turned off <laughs> because I couldn't remember which season there was an episode where they, uh, they're a band called the Beat yeah. Alls. Yep. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, Mojo Jojo is, um, o it's, it's, uh, Oko Yono is the name, like, he has a different name, but, like, joins the band and wrecks the band or something. It was just the very, like, yeah, yeah sorry. If any, if anyone that I've ever spoken to would, would appreciate a good business joke, it, it was, you know, YouTube I episode. love that episode. Yeah. If you are going to watch one episode of the Powerpuff Girls, it is probably that one. And I say that as yeah. someone who likes like the show. It's one. It was one of my favorite cartoons for a long time. Yeah, I I like that show. I don't have a whole lot to say in this book other than the art is nice. It's consistent. Uh, re regardless of the issues that we have with the portrayals, I actually thought the art was very solid, like ninety percent of the time. 
there's a couple faces where I was like, mm, but other than that, I was I'm actually about to mention the faces as a positive. I actually really like how expressive uh, these artists, because it's multiple artists working throughout the book. I like how expressive they make the characters' faces, uh, especially anytime Hercules gets to make a dumb face. I love it. Yeah, no, there's just a couple instances where like they go a little off model and the face is a little too small for the head. Mm. There's a there's a couple instances early on, um, and those kind of stuck out to me, and I was like, that's a little weird. But then I, I don't know, maybe they just figured it out they were they had too much coffee or something. I don't know. <laughs> they were too zoomed in. I don't I don't know how I don't know how. Dead, was deadline. Who you know? They're like, I nailed that pose. Oh shoot! I forgot about the head. Ah, screw it! I gotta get this turned in. You know, yeah. I, I'm not gonna fault an artist for that, especially after like this this horrible Inktober month that I've had, <laughs> where I've been. It's just I've done I've like maybe done nine days. It's just embarrassing. So I embarrassing. think you know, father of newborn twins has an excuse. Yeah, but then you look at people who are super successful and have like a hundred kids, and it's like, oh, man, like Mr. Brady. Look at him. Successful business. Six kids. He did it all. Sorry, that was a really crappy example. I couldn't think of anyone better off the top of my head. Wait, who? Oh, whatever, Mr. Brady. The Brady Bunch. Oh, I don't know, oh, man. My bro- oh. That's how brain dead I am. You said Mr. Brady, and I thought of Tom Brady. I was watching Living With Yourself. Oh, no, I hate Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady can die in a fire. Well, if you watch Living With Yourself, he dies a couple times. <laughs> oh, gosh, I just... I just flipped at, like to my single favorite page in this entire story, and per- <laughs> oh yeah, back on track. <laughs> Potentially my favorite page in the entire run of Incredible Hercules. Like I'm not kidding, I love this page so much. It's issue one twenty four, page eighteen. So the the MacGuffin that is supposed to let people reshape the world to their will is bouncing around and everybody's getting their hands on it for a little bit. So Hercules gets his hands on it and the world is now just this great big bacchanal that he gets to enjoy with Namora. Namora gets her hands on it and she is totally hooking up with Namor and Hercules is watching. And then we get to page 18. Amadeus gets his hands on it and everybody in the world loves Amadeus and he gets to... uh, go out with Delphine Gorgon and all around the sides of the page are these little chibi Amadeuses and Delphines and Herculeses and I love it. It makes me so happy. Oh, that is adorable, yeah. That was a lot of fun. I really liked the chibis. Um, but the uh, best moment is actually uh, 121, page 12. The Amazons show up. Uh, what Hercules and uh, Namora have had their little moment. He says, ah, it's just, it's just Amazons. And one of them has a rocket launcher that shoots up into the air. And the best sound effect, onomatopoetic sound effect I've ever heard, Sproy Bloom, oh. is on the page. <laughs> I read that and I was like, that's the most ridiculous sound effect I've ever seen. But apparently a uh, surface-to-air missile when fired by an Amazon and caught by Hercules and Namora, that's what it sounds like. Problem. Yeah, so this series has as one of its big influences Walt Simonson's Thor, and it does the thing that Simonson's Thor does, where it has kind of crazy over the top sound effects. Like literally in the next panel where it says pish posh when they land in the water. <laughs> it gets worse. Like I think there's a there's a story where Thor and Hercules are fighting. And somebody kicks somebody in the nuts, and the sound effect is, Nukraka! Ha! 
<laughs> like when they jumped, they shot straight up at Atlas and did the something yeah. similar. Uh, yeah, it's it's very very on the nose sound effects, or you know, at the very least, very on the something. Because <laughs> they couldn't type out. <laughs> I mean, they could. Oh no, it is the Nutcrack. That that's the that's the Atlas <laughs> one. No, I did like Amadeus Cho as like you know, like a ticker tape parade in Times Square or whatever that was in the last panel of his little moment. John, any other thoughts on the story? You guys liked it a lot better than, than I did. I actually was super embarrassed, but I'm pleased that it sounds like it's at least mostly positive. As long as, you know, you can set aside the things that are like, eh, because there's a lot more that works, I think, than don't, that than doesn't. In the- yeah, I mean, I liked it, um, but I, how would I put this? I don't hate it, but I also don't love it. It's very in the middle for me. Mm, that's fair. I wouldn't... I wouldn't warn somebody against it, but I also would not recommend it. Yeah, like, I think I would recommend the rest of this arc. Like, I would read this as part of the larger Hercules run. Not, yeah. hey, here's a great introduction to Amadeus Cho, everybody's favorite character. Yeah, I would I would tell people, hey, read, read this book. But I also wouldn't be like, read this book, but also watch out for these chapters. I, it's, no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. They're very, it's, they seem to be in tone of the rest of the book. Judging by these covers. Yep. How do you say what in Czech, Stephen? Uh, so. Okay. In Russian, it's sto, and but in but in the Urals, they say cho. So every time it was Amadeus cho, I was like Amadeus what? what? <laughs> every, time, every time. I understand cho is a common last name or name period. Cho Chang in Harry Potter, for example, she plays Quidditch. That's a first name. Oh, yeah, man. I'm just trying to, you know. Okay. <laughs> I just, for whatever reason, Amadeus Cho. Every time I heard Cho, I was like, huh? I I kept thinking of uh, Frank Cho. Oh, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I I had to. Yeah. I I was waiting for one of you guys to mention his name first because I wanted to call him Frank Cho, but I wasn't. I had forgotten what his first name was. <laughs> That's great. And you just knew it wasn't Amadeus. So. Amadeus, Amadeus. Uh, Amadeus, 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 Amadeus. Oh, thank goodness. That, that, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> Rock me, Amadeus. Should, should, should we move on? I think it's time to talk about the the actual Hulk story as opposed to sort of the pretend Hulk story. Yeah, that's a little funny how that ended up this episode. Indeed. Uh, yeah, so Aldo, I think you've got our summary on this one. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and you are definitely ready for it. Mm-hmm, most most, I'm definitely not stalling to get my back straight. That would be irresponsible of me. Uh, Immortal Hulk. So I actually, I feel bad because I because I didn't do any research about what led up to this. But leading up to this book, it's implied that the world believes that uh, Bruce Banner has died. I can actually let you in a little bit on what's going on here. Oh, uh, please do. So Civil War Two happened. And as part of the the Civil War II, uh, the whole thing is, like, can heroes... It's Minority Report. Can they stop crimes if they know that they're going to happen before they actually happen? Is that moral? Is that ethical? And one of the things that they learn is that the Hulk is going to, like, kill a bunch of people. And so Hawkeye kills him. Hawkeye shoots, shoots the Hulk through the brain with an arrow before he transforms. Which at the time seemed like, well, that's... That's the way to kill the Hulk. But, I don't know. I just don't believe in death in comics anymore. And it's sad that, like, that whole, like, it just... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do like that they acknowledge that. 
because they talk about him being dead and I think somebody in the book goes like, mm, I've seen that before. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, so the world kind of believes for some dumb reason. They believe that the that the Hulk and Bruce Banner are dead because um, apparently nobody lives there for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> so you know, they don't remember. And so there is a shooting or there is a, an attempted robbery at a gas station where a couple people are killed. And one of these victims is a is a John Doe. So this John Doe wakes up. So he wakes up and he turns into the Hulk. Uh, and then, like, the next day, uh, or the next issue, uh, he tracks down this this guy who went to, to go rob this, this store. Uh, absolutely, like, kills and, and decimates this whole gang hideout. Um, except for the guy that tried to do the robbery. He is left alive barely uh, to, to kind of like live in fear or you know to regret his decisions or, or whatever um so there's a there's an investigation going on and this john doe uh gosh i'm i'm butchering this it's been a couple weeks since i read this if you can't tell <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up in the hospital i'm just gonna say that uh what do they call the angels the agents of atlas are using is it Sasquatch? Is that his name? Yeah. Okay. Good. I was making sure it wasn't Yeti or something else that was dumb. <laughs> so they they use him to try to find the Hulk, but he's been he has like a dark presence to him, which the Hulk has also been sensing like a dark presence uh, when he trans when he transforms or when he's not transformed. He's just if you've watched the Eric Banner. Hulk. It's similar to that. Well, let me uh, correct you real fast. Please do so. <laughs> uh, it's not Agents of Atlas. Is it it's not? Alpha Flight. Oh. Agents of Atlas is the group that Nemora was part of. I thought it was the same group. Nope, they're different. Oh. Alpha Flight's Canada. Oh, that's right. That's why they have a Sasquatch. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Bingo. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they send they send him down to go fight the Hulk, and uh, they fight. And then they find out there's this entity that's kind of like, it's kind, it's like a demon, but not. They don't really clear that up in this arc. Yeah. Uh, it's implied to be the father of Bruce Banner or the Hulk, um, and he's stealing power from them. So, yeah. So now that I've butchered that whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> I lost a lot of details in a couple weeks, guys. <laughs> There was a Sasquatch in there. There was a fight in a hospital. There are demons and humans. Yeah. Uh, Canadians. More than a few Canadians, yes. Yeah, they're setting up... It seems like this is a lot of setup for a future ongoing arc where the Hulk is now, like, hunting down these other demons that are escaping through the green door. So it's it, they're implying that there's more than just, like, mad science gone wrong in the Hulk's backstory, but there's actually something almost magical or, at the very least, spiritual. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, your gosh. That hasn't, that hasn't backfired on another superhero ever. Uh, <laughs> Spider totems? What are those? Or that time that Punisher became an angel? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that seems like an error, but in okay. It's a clerical error. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back on, baby. <laughs> back on your bull crap. What, Al Aldo, we, we're reading about the green door. Aldo believes in the pun door. So. <laughs> oh, pun door. That's a, that's a Star Wars planet, isn't it? 
<laughs> All right. So what, what did we what did we think about about the Immortal Hulk? I liked it. You know, don't don't let my lack of being able to remember facts confuse you. I like this book quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a terrible memory, is all. No, I forgot that in um, the third issue, we get we get interesting quotes in the beginning. They set it up. It, it, the, this is a horror book, right? Particularly the first issue. It's kind of set up to be a horror book. Yeah, you know, let I think less so as it goes yeah. on, because then it becomes more like a mystery, like what's really going on with this, like these entities coming through the green door, like using, you know, gamma experiments and accidents and stuff to like, you know, roam the earth and haunt people and stuff. But interesting things like in the third issue where you get people telling their story about um, running into, you know, the Hulk or, or other experiences with you know people with you know gamma radiation that's where we get uh, the introduction of sasquatch but when a different person is telling a story the art style changes yeah and i thought that was an interesting way to go about you know telling that story like you know these eyewitnesses are giving their side of the story and it'll you know the art changes depending on you know who's narrating it I, I it's very it. rough yeah. i didn't like all of the different styles though uh in particular i uh uh, I don't know, there's this weird sort of like, this is weird sort of like indie comics style, kind of like almost Daniel Klaus, I think is the guy's name, uh, with the very, very tall faces. I was going to say, it felt like really bad King of the Hill or something. Kind of, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not... You're not thinking of Scott McCloud, are you? No, I'm not thinking of Scott McCloud. Scott McCloud's uh, very different. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. <laughs> I don't think it's bad art, but I do think it's kind of a weird match for a superhero comic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, part of the problem is it, I wish it carried on that horror feel to it. Same. Hard um, same. Yeah. The first, because yeah. yeah. because that first part that I described terribly, where he goes to track <laughs> down the this gangster house... It's done very, like, horror movie-ish. Like, there's a thump, and everybody stops. Um, and, I mean, as the reader, you obviously know who it is. You looked at the cover. You recognize the big green hands that are coming through the wall. Uh, but just kind of that setup. The pacing of the kid trying to get his keys out to get into the car is like, you know, any horror movie. You have that same thing, but they did a really good job, you know, breaking up the paneling with the you know that moment where it's, you know, him hearing what the Hulk is doing to the rest of the gang off-panel, and it's getting worse and worse, and he's getting more and more scared, and then that's when the Hulk Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of like after that, where it... I feel like they kind of want to, because they set up this whole thing like, uh... Oh, yeah, jeez, I forgot the whole side story where he goes to a town, and people are dying from radiation, and he can, he can sense it, I yeah. guess. He can sense radiation because of his gamma stuff. Um... But it's like a it's a it's a gamma ghost and like that was kind of rad. Yeah, like that second cover is really cool. Yeah, so so I mean, there's like a, a lot of really cool elements uh, that are happening. But like, I wish I just kind of really wish they would have stuck a little bit with that horror thing because I think it's right around issue three or four where like they just kind of and I'm saying around there because it's 
like in the middle of the run where it just kind of switches. Now, one and two, I think, keep the horror because two ends with him burying that guy alive, right? Yeah, yeah. One and two are, were the ones I liked the best. Three is where I think it starts to lose the horror vibe. It's doing the whole Rashomon thing. But, you know, there's this story about this guy who has, like, gamma radiation powers and he did a bad thing and he takes refuge in the church. And then in the middle of the book, this older woman, like, tells her version of the story and he looks like James Dean. And there are a oh, bunch of, like, pink up. flowers yeah. and, like, rays of light in the background. And he's crying. It's like, okay, the horror theme is gone. You know, until you cut back to the Hulk with, like, a gaping hole in his chest. Yeah, but, I mean, you've got, again, in the middle, these bits where you've got the teen heartthrob images. And it doesn't really work for me. Uh, and, and, I mean, but again, at the towards the end, you've got green door written on the wall and the woman whose head is like her neck is snapped to the point where her head's looking backwards. And so there are like bits and elements of it. But like, to me, that was the sign that the horror was slipping and it wasn't likely to be a through line through the whole thing. Yeah. <sighs> Which is a shame. Cause like, like you, although I, I wish it had been horror the whole time. And I, I, I don't, I don't know. And maybe it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of there. It's hard. It's probably because it's hard to balance like a superhero book with horror. Yeah. Because um, there are just certain things that, like, you know, that just kind of happen when you involve superheroes. And then when you're involving, when you start pulling in Sasquatch and you start pulling in other, you know, superhumans. Um, if you're not careful or maybe you're just not that dedicated, it can, it can, it just kind of ruins that tone, right? Right. Because um, as soon as, like, I mean, you can have a horror book, but as soon as, like, Captain Marvel walks in, you know, hair ablaze and bright blue and red... It kind of, kind of kills the setting a little bit. Yeah, it's like trying to have a horror story with Superman. It's doable, but it's hard. It to, yes, I mean I do appreciate that they do have like a giant monster fight, uh, with in a hospital with between Sasquatch and and Hulk, and like that fight was kind of cool. I was actually looking through the issues now. Which I should have done like half an hour ago. Um, <laughs> I forgot how much of that book that fight takes up. Like the whole book. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, also, Puck is in here. <laughs> oh yeah, Puck is definitely in here. So one thing that, that kind of does bother me mm-hmm. in in the, the monster fight bit is the way that the story treats Sasquatch. And it's not okay. necessarily because I have any great affection for the character. I don't. I have read A Fistful... In my okay, fist. I, I I say fistful when I am thinking of something that's smaller than a handful, but I think a fistful is supposed to be bigger. But you can't keep as much in a fist as you can in, in like a hand because your fingers are like really whatever. Anyway, I've read a few Alpha Flight comics, <laughs> not not too many, a couple around the time that that uh, Bendis rebooted Avengers, and so I like I don't have any great affection for the character of Sasquatch, but I think if you bring in a character who's not terribly well, like, not terribly popular, just to kind of, like, throw them under the bus to advance somebody else's story. Like, it, it, it's not... Lazy's not the word I want, but I think it's... It's it's not what I want to see from my superheroes. It's the, the women in refrigerators trope, but not gender-specific. It feels disingen- like a disingenuous use. Yeah, it's not a respectful use of the character. I'm thinking about things like 
in Infinite Crisis over at DC Comics when Superboy Prime goes nuts and he punches this uh, woman's head off. And she was a character, former member of the Teen Titans. Again, like, I had the trading card, so I know who she was. Very few people, I think, did. But, like... At the same, even even though it's like nobody really necessarily has all that much affection for this character, it still feels like superheroes are supposed to be you know honorable and inspiring figures, and it's just a disrespectful way to treat your character. And I kind of got that same vibe from Sasquatch. I think he's still in the story going forward, so maybe it'll play out differently, and this will just be like a hiccup in his uh, character arc, but. It did rub me the wrong way in the moment that I was reading it. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know. John, what are you thinking? See, I, I had no, like, I just had no previous experience with the character, so I was just like, oh, Harry Hulk, huh? Right <laughs> on, okay. Like, <laughs> sorry, it went right past me. I was just like, all right, well, we, he needs somebody to punch, so yeah. okay. Um, the last issue, I liked, I, I really liked the art, and I liked the, the last couple of panels, where he's like, that's my secret captain, and he's talking to Captain Marvel, I'm already dead. I was like, well, that's just straight out of the Avengers <laughs> But it was, it was also done really well in the comics, like, how, how, I don't know, it was done well, so I was like, nah, I'm mad that I like this a little <laughs> bit. So. But consistently good writing and art, and I was engaged, I think, you know, even, even dropping, like, the horror theme of it, which I think would have been more successful if they continued with it. Um, and it does end that way. I think... We stopped reading in issue six, and it, it's a cliffhanger of a fight between Hulk and all of the big guns of the Avengers. You know, it's Cap, Black Panther, Thor, Iron Man in a Hulkbuster suit, uh, Jennifer Walters, which she's all messed up. I don't know from what, um, but she's not like She-Hulk as much as she is like a female, like you know, Mad Rage Hulk. You know, like she's lost control of it. I think. Um, Captain Marvel and uh, Black Panther, and I think Ghost Rider's in there at some point. But they all—he takes them all out until they resort to, you know, their big gun um, and blast him from space with an enormous laser, and then he's taken over by the, you know, the evil scientists that are, you know, in the previous issue that are hunting him, and he wakes up in jars, like p pieces of the Hulk in jars, and that's. The cover to issue eight, but we stopped reading that there. But yeah, it, it just—I think that might maybe would be a return to horror, you know, seeing seeing the Hulk in several different jars. But you know, everything between issue two and issue—I don't know—eight, I guess, would be kind of a deviation from that original theme. But. I and I—I I don't know. I, I think part part of the thing for me um, that I like in this book is. And it's kind of why it kills me that one they get away they get away from the horror stuff, but also that like they want to bring it make it a little bit more magical because I like the idea of like the science experiment gone wrong that just won't let him die. Like yeah. even though he has actually died, he's been shot. This separate entity in him like won't allow it. Yeah, which which is the thing that's. They, I mean, they've done a couple times. Like, this isn't necessarily like a, like a new concept, right? Um, there was a story a few years ago where I think he cut out like half of his brain. So there was like a Hulk on an island with half the brain, and there was just a banner on living peacefully with his half of the brain or something. Ooh. Kind of dumb like that. Uh, 
but like this whole idea that like even and and I think and in one of those issues there's like a radio there's like a bomb that kills Banner uh but then like the big twist like later through the arc is that Banner is back but that's because he's the Hulk has depowered for whatever reason so he's he's back oh he never die <laughs> a couple of years ago they did have this they had this stay angry there's a lot they they toyed with this a lot I think where you know I, I like how this is horror Jekyll and Hyde straight up you know and he's he's wrestling with himself and you know nighttime belongs to the Hulk and anytime he looks in the mirror he sees the Hulk and he's trying to get out but the in the stay angry uh, storyline Banner is like a mad scientist bad guy and he gets himself into crazy situations that only the Hulk can get out of and so it just jumps from crazy thing to crazy thing and, you know, he wakes up in Atlantis, and he wakes up, you know, <laughs> in all these, these like, this, uh, on a space station where a cosmonaut um, <laughs> is, like, uh, making cyborg bears, um, possibly dating cyborg bears, I don't know. <laughs> and he has to help, like, the children of the crazy cosmonaut get off the space station, okay, you know, it's, it's wild. Indeed, that that sounds pretty wild. There's there's precedent in in you know, messing with the Banner Hulk formula of like who's in charge and what what their role is and everything. But I liked this one, even though it was like you know f- familiar horror elements. It was it was done well. One thing in particular that kind of like frustrates me, and I, I think it's a, a matter of honestly mismanaged expectations, because I was expecting more of that sort of Hulk Banner conflict. Like, I was expecting them not to get along. Uh, but they, even though the Hulk is, like, all murderous and bad, they didn't seem like they were actually at cross-purposes at all. Yeah. They kind of disrespected each other's turf. Right, which I feel like, I don't know. Again, I don't know that that's necessarily the best setting for a horror story. And we were kind of beating that that particular grievance to death but it, it was a bit uh, yeah okay pun intended i guess um it was a bit frustrating to me to to expect one thing and wind up with something completely different based even than what i think i was promised in issue one like i don't think this is necessarily a matter of marketing or whatever it's issue one sets up this expectation and then issue two kind of sets a precedent Issue three deviates from it a little bit, but by issue four, it's just another superhero story. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with a superhero story, but yeah. I was going to say, I hope you don't have a problem with that, because <laughs> look where we are right now. But I mean, I don't I don't hate chocolate, but if you give me, like, strawberry, and the more I eat it, it tastes like chocolate, it's like, well, that's not what I expected. Yep. I don't know if that analogy works, but it worked for me. Nope, I love them both. That's what that yeah, that fell flat with me because I was like, ooh, that might be the keto. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, and I, and I think this, I don't know. It kind of also comes down to this whole thing of like you should judge a book based on what it is, not based on like what you wanted it to be. Right. And the problem is, what I wanted it to be is what it was for a little bit. Yep. And I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. I think if I was to take, I mean, I should, if I was to take a step back and just kind of really think about this book as what it is and where it is potentially leading into, I don't think I have as many problems with it 
as opposed to really kind of trying to for it to be what I thought it was going to be the whole time. Yeah. Meaning to say, I like I said at the beginning, regardless of how much I forgot about this book, um, I still like it. Uh, I don't know that I want to keep reading the rest of it, but I think if somebody was to ask me, hey, is this, you know, should I read this book? I think, I don't think I would be able to have a good reason to tell them no. Yeah, it's not, it's not bottom of the list. Hmm. I just think it suffers a little bit from not being able to carry a tone or theme all the way through. Um, and I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if, if maybe Marvel was like, oh, you know what? Maybe a horror book wouldn't actually be so good. Or maybe they were like, hey, this isn't what you sold us or whatever. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what was the decision for this, but... Yeah. I like, to, I like to know more about that. I like to listen to interviews with creators and, you know, there was... Um... A lot of oh no, Len Wein. I was like Len Wein. Oh, wait, he just he did some Hulk stuff and he created Wolverine. Not, but he did. He was on a podcast called um, the Nerdist uh, Comics Panel. It was on like the Nerdist Writers Panel and then spun off. But Len Wein was a frequent collaborator on that, and they talked a lot about like editorial decisions and like uh, you know how characters get created and that sort of thing and. Jumping from DC to Marvel, Marvel to DC. I like to I like to hear how the sausage gets made. As far as that sounded worse than no, that's that, a thing. That's no, a you know what? I stand by it. Uh, I stand it's by acceptable. it. It's a phrase. You you stay with it, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this big old sausage, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> with that, I think it's time to move on to the ranking. Guess this conversations get a little rank. Okay, Aldo, I appreciate the effort. I feel like we've used that one before. You're better than this, Aldo. You're better than this. I mean, demonstrably he's not, but... (laughs) In theory, I should be better than this. In practice, though... (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, let's let's rank this, this couple of stories here. So, our list currently has... 71 stories on it. At the bottom of the list, we've got The Evil That Men Do, which is bad. And at the top of the list, we've got No Normal, which is good. And in the middle are things that are various degrees of bad and good. It's it's like a scale. What? Is it on a curve? I don't think it's on a curve. Um, although it might be. Because, like, I think we have fewer, like, superbly excellent stories and fewer, like, just really disgustingly bad stories than we do stories that are just like, you know, it was fine. And so let's let's go ahead and rank Love and War. And it's interesting because I expected us to be more divided on these stories than I think we are. So I'll be curious to see where these actually wind up ranking. I'm worried that I'm going to, you know, stick it. The man, hold on. Hold on a second. I'm worried I will place this in the list where I have many previous times kind of in the middle around the same handful of issues where it's good but not great, but there are some redeeming qualities, so it needs to go higher than, you know, maybe, yeah, I'm just... Boy, that was a weird dance I did just there. Okay. What? (laughs) Well, okay. Just never mind. Just never mind. I can tell you where I think this should go, and we'll see if you guys agree. I think this should go... Honestly, I'm a lot more down on this story than I thought I was going to be. I want to put it at number 50. 
Oh, Red Round, Fader Down, Fatal Attractions. Yeah, I want to put it under those because I kind of like them. They make me happy, even though Fatal Attractions is demonstrably, like, not good. Uh, but I, I still kind of like it. That's kind of where I'm thinking because I think it's on the lower end of our, you know, fine stories. Yeah, you know, I don't... I don't think I have a good counter for that. <laughs> I'm trying to find a reason to argue, but I don't know that I will be able to find one. Because <laughs> I think that the, there's... I don't know, the bad in this book belongs near the bottom, but the good in this book is, like, it's a solid It's a solid B, you know? Yep. And I think that mostly it's the content and not necessarily... Like, the writing is good, despite the subject matter, and the, the art is great, you know, ignoring that it's, it's you know, thirsty, is what I'm going to <laughs> But I, I'm trying to think... Would I read Vader down again before I read this? And maybe. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> are we are we seriously gonna just put it in the same spot? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I seriously thought we were gonna have more division on this. Uh yeah. Okay, fine. Let's put it at number fifty then. You know, I I've said this before. It's the books where that are like the most like middling that are have like the least conversation because I have no strong feelings e like either either direction for this. I, I feel almost for both of these books. <laughs> you know what it is? It's that like I'm not going to be thinking about this tomorrow where I'm still thinking about Ms. Marvel. Yeah. And I feel like this podcast is in a lot of ways just a search for you know, those books that we're going to be thinking about for a while. Yeah. And we're not finding them every time we read, which is not a bad thing, you know, but... I mean, and, and I think as, I'd rather a book be, I don't know, I don't want to say forgetful. I'd rather a book be... Actually, you know, I'm going to say it. I, I would prefer a book that is, that is forgettable than a book that is bad. Because a book, because a book that is bad can turn away readers. A book that is forgetful just collects dust. You know, I think I would rather have a bad book. <laughs> oh, for the podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would read Ultimate Wolverine versus the Hulk just for the conversation again. But I would never recommend that to anybody. Yup, that's true. Let's also rank that other book that we read. Immortal Hulk. 43. 43, huh? What's at 43? Ultron Unlimited. Under the Eternals, above Ultron Unlimited. Because I can remember the Eternals story, and I can't remember Ultron Unlimited. <laughs> oh, man, now that you say that, I also can't remember what happened in Ultron Unlimited. I'm also desperate to get some more stuff above Mary Jane. Hulk. And you see, I was about to say, nah, I think this should go at 46. <laughs> yeah, quiet, you. Okay, okay. So, 43-46, Aldo, huh? You know, I'm trying to remember what happened in Ultron Unlimited. I remember the covers. The covers are cool. Yeah. Uh, talented, Kurt, Kurt Busiek and George Perez, very talented people. Um, but yeah, without peeking, I couldn't tell you anything more than Ultron's in it. But you know what I can remember? Mary Jane Hunk Homecoming. <laughs> oh. I remember that in exquisite detail. <laughs> Is it because you were filled with rage? It was an emotion. Uh, I, I'm gonna agree with Steven and put it, but I, I would want to put it at 46. Crap. Also, The Client. Like, it's also a good book. 
I actually, I think I would recommend the client over this. See, I like Hulk better, but I'm willing to I'm willing to go along with democracy. I believe in the system even when it screws me. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why you fail. <laughs> oh, calm, calm down, Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that puts... Uh, what what's the story even called? Immortal Hulk. I just called it Immortal Hulk. I don't know if it has a name. Let's look it up real fast. Okay, 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 okay. The the trade paperback collection uh for Immortal Hulk numbers one through five is, and I quote, or is he both? You know, that's not bad. I I kind of like it. Really? Wait, was it one through five? Yeah, one through five is the collection. I read huh. one through six. Yeah, me too. Oh, and I posted a thing on the chat that said it ends at five. And I remember now because I said, cool, <laughs> I'll just read less. Yep. Dang it. I read more. I read more. Yep. And, uh, don't I look foolish? No, you had some good insight. Well, I enjoyed the other, the other two issues I read anyway, so. Everybody wins. Everybody dance now. Okay, so for our next episode of the podcast... Oh god, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're gonna have a belching contest. Hey! Ooh. Bring your AMW root beer and Diet Dr. Pepper and power yourself and get ready for the Belcherama 2019. <laughs> Coming live to you from the Thunderdome. Thunderdome! <laughs> Sunday, 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 bring the kids! Thunderdome seems an appropriate name for a, a burping contest venue. I think it's extremely appropriate. So for our next episode, we <laughs> we were going to do a Halloween episode, and for all sorts of different reasons, we weren't able to, to actually even get this episode out before Halloween. But gosh darn it, we still want our spooky. So we're going to do spooky. Especially because one of these books is, just sounds amazing. Yeah, so we're going 90s again, but this time it's, it's the 90s horror comics. We're going to read a story arc called Rise of the Midnight Suns. Do you want to talk about who it features? Oh gosh, yeah. So this has Ghost Rider. This has Blade. This has Morbius the Living Vampire. This has, apparently Doctor Strange is in it. Uh, the Darkhold Redeemers, who, surprising no one, I had the trading card. <laughs> that is all I know about them, is that they had a trading card. Man, he's really got an edge on that. Like, we need to pull some, like... Well, what was I reading in the 90s crap to get get ahead of Steven <laughs> in his trading cards? But yeah, I know nothing else about these characters. And so I'm excited to explore like this aspect of the Marvel Universe that I've got no real exposure to. I've read a few Ghost Rider stories and Blade was in a, a story arc for Captain Britain that I really liked. And that's kind of it. Wait, did you not watch the Guillermo del Toro film? Blade 2? You know, I've never actually seen the the Blade movies. Only bits and pieces. Are they are they are they worth it cuz it seemed like it was more like less comic booky and more like blood. I don't know. The second one is if you liked Hellboy, I think you would like Blade 2. Okay. See, I kind of nothing to Hellboy. I wanted to like it. I think that Mike Mignola's character designs are incredible, and his, his his art is incredible, but but I just couldn't quite. And I like Ron Perlman. I don't know the movie just didn't quite. I don't know. Have you, well, have you seen like Pants Labyrinth? I know Guillermo del Toro. I know. I like the guy. I like I like Pacific Rim a lot. Um, 
it, you know not enough movies deliver on what they should be like they were like they they promised big robots punching monsters and that's what we got and they didn't need to be anything else all, all I'm saying is people slept on Blade 2 and people don't appreciate like the, the talent that's in it and it's a lot of talent in that I mean first of all he had Guillermo del Toro he had Donnie Donnie Yen was a fight choreographer on that uh uh, what's his name? Tim Bradstreet, I think is his name. He was like the original designer and character, like whatever for character artist for the Vampire the Masquerade books, uh, which they totally stole the art from for the Blade movies and the second one. Guillermo Toro made things right and actually hired them to get the feel of it right and all that stuff. So there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of talent in that. Ryan Reynolds is in it. Oh yeah, no. Little baby Ryan Reynolds. I'm familiar with, uh, you know, where where do we start with this uh, <laughs> rise of rise of the Spooky Boys? What is rise of the Midnight Suns? So if so if you're looking uh, at our behind the scenes private Excel sheet, um, I have all the books there in order. So you, so, so Stephen, if you want to read those out, because I don't, because that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I already typed them out. I don't want to read them out. Okay, yeah. So I was looking on the website and it was kind of awkward. So let's actually do this uh, off of Aldo's list. Okay, so Rise of the Midnight Suns from 1992 uh, has, let's see. Okay, Aldo, could you do me a favor? Yes. Uh, Could you move your cursor? What a first world problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can read it now. Sorry, that's a second burp. All right. That's a third. I'm sorry. Oh, my heck. (laughs) I can't control them. I'm sorry. Okay. So, Rise of the Midnight Suns, it's kind of all over the place. So, it starts in Ghost Rider, Volume 3, Issue 28. Then there's there's Ghost Rider Blaze, Spirits of Vengeance, Number 1. Morbius the Living Vampire, Number 1. Darkhold, Pages from the Book of Sins, Number 1. Night Stalkers, Number 1. And then Ghost Rider, Number 3. 31. Kind of makes me wonder what happens in between in, in Ghost Riders 29 and 30. But regardless, it, it's kind of all over the place. Now, this is a 90s comic, so the the different parts are actually like, each of the covers says part one of six, so it, it's easy to follow in that sense. So, and, and I just want to point this out, at least for me, I couldn't find this as an event. Uh, so when I was confirmed so when I was confirming that all these books were on the Marvel Limited app, um, I had to go hunt them down individually. And which also makes it a little weird because they have like a lot of these like like spin-off ones. It's like Morbius number one, all that stuff. All they have is the book that's part of this story. They don't have anything else that follows for those individual characters, which was a little weird. Frankly, there might not have been more than a single issue. I don't know that. I think there were, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's hard to say. Oh, there was definitely a Night Stalkers 2, according to marvel.fandom.com. <laughs> <laughs> but not marvelunlimited.com. I don't know if that's the real website. Regardless <laughs> here, um, our second story is Marvel Zombies 2. It took us half an hour to get to the second story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. What was it? Marvel Zombies number two? Marvel Zombies two. Two. Yep. Not the second issue of the first one. Exactly. Okay. I follow. All right. And I think that's going to do it for this <laughs> for this episode. Uh, thank you so much for for uh, joining us, 
this evening, morning, afternoon, time, place thing. What happened over the last half hour? All of a sudden, I got like super dumb. Oh, man, that's where I was at five minutes after we started. <laughs> that's where I was at when I woke up this morning. So I'm glad you all got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, John and Aldo, it's, it's always a pleasure to have you guys here. Uh, hope you all will join us for our next episode where we talk about some spooky stories. Because I'm... Boopy. I have wanted nothing more than spoopiness for a while, and it's exciting that I will have it well after Halloween. <laughs> but at least it's happening. It's important to keep the spirit of Halloween with us throughout the whole year. <laughs> All right. Y'all are on our list or whatever I have to say to end this thing. I'm going to go to bed. <laughs>